This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and Cerakoting. Your Cerakote specialist is Air Force veteran and retired police sergeant Paul Ware, a.k.a. the Sarge. He can Cerakote your firearms, auto parts, tools, even your sports equipment. This veteran-owned business is located at 5025 Saunders Suite, 103, Fort Worth, Texas, 76119. You can call them at 682-304-0363, and you can find them online at www www.hrhcombatarms.com That's www.hrhcombatarms.com All right, welcome back to Cops One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine, and my other cop today is Mr. Jake Bigelow. How you doing, brother? Good, good. He is finally was able to make it on. <laughs> yes, yes. We've been trying to get this going because I, everybody knows, I get my episodes out every Thursday, and I had a guest fall through, and then I was scrambling, and then I had another guest fall through, and that's where you came into play, and I was like, all right, can you do it today? And you're like, yeah, I can do it today, and then that fell through. But you're like, oh, can we do it tomorrow? I was like, yes, let's go tomorrow. And then I fell through because I got hung up at work, um, and then today I was like, if we don't get it today, I'm gonna have to do a podcast like by myself. Right. <laughs> I was getting desperate. I was like, I'm just going to get on this bitch and just start talking. I don't know what I'll talk about, but I'll figure out a topic and go. I guess that's, right. you know, most of us officers, us good officers, we have the gift of gab anyway. So, oh, I could, I could talk my way through a podcast by myself. Ask anybody I know. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay. So today, um, so I don't, me and, me and Jake just got, to know each other a little bit we got reference to each other from a mutual friend an old air force buddy a little shout out to john ray um he's a, a a mutual buddy of ours we we found out through conversation that we were both stationed at the same base at the same time uh back in 07 i guess that would have been yeah yeah i got out in 07 and you were just getting there in 07 weren't yeah, you? yeah i 06. got 06 yeah so i got there in 06 um so I was a missile um, security forces guy. I was out, you know, watching the nukes in the in the field for for a little bit, and I bounced around. I went to the WSA, which is the weapons storage area, for those um, listening, and then I went to the law enforcement side, uh, and quickly transitioned from that to confinement, just because there was an opening. Uh, ended up being the supervisor. Um, over there for uh did you when you were confinement did you know a guy named justin mindenhall i want to say mindenhall Mindenhall. if i did i don't remember him it doesn't doesn't ring a bell getting out i think he was working confinement okay i know um casey uh i cannot remember his first name but his last name was casey he was the um the tech sergeant over it, I think he was promoting to master sergeant or something like that, which created this gap for the supervisor position. And the funniest thing, I'm a senior airman. I made staff. I was a staff select, but I was senior airman like as quick as you could be. So I had a long time before I could even think about sewing on. And they put made me like the supervisor, which you were supposed to be. That's a tech position, but you could go one up or one down for six and months, and you had to get cert. Yes, and so they played that loophole for quite a while. 
I missed I missed staff the first time I tested and I got it the second time. So I put on pretty fast after I got it. Yeah. But I only had it on for a year and a half, uh, probably right at two years because I got out at six. So Okay. People were pissed that's, at me. That's how I ended up transitioning back to sets. I was originally security escort teams, then I went out to the field. Um okay. and then I uh, was CRF and then uh ultimately came back after I put on staff certain I had that on for a while and I got a, a supervisor position over in um in sets. Okay. So I came back to sets and instead of actually going out with the teams, I just got to go out and do, you know, yeah. Checks. Oh, uh, sorry. If you see me look back, I'm just checking my audio stuff real quick. But right, no um, so all right. You have a story is what I'm told. Right. Yeah. And I don't even know what that story is. All John said is, Hey, uh, Jake, you should be on there and tell your story. And I, I didn't ask anything else. I just trust, I trust John. What but... story? I, wonder. I, uh, I got a lot of stories cause I did a lot of stupid shit. That's, uh... <laughs> okay. So this is basically the way I guide this. Typically first, um, I want people to know who Jake is, where did Jake come from and how did Jake get into first responder stuff? So kind of give that background. Uh, well, security forces, um, it's kind of started that, that whole game there. Um, can you explain for those that don't know what security forces, where that's at, uh, air force, military police. There you go. Um, AKA, uh, air force wannabe infantry. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good way to explain it. Um, almost worse, I say sometimes, and not because we were better, but because you had a lot of supervisors that really wanted to be like army and Marine Corps infantry, but they weren't. So they tried to make us that, but they did it really terribly. So they made our lives hell on a regular basis. Oh, for sure. We were in back when you had to actually shine your boots. Matter of fact, I went, my chair is all messed up. So I always kind of keep a uniform over top of it because I know these are tough. So I, when you said you're at Malmstrom, I went and grabbed my old uniform top. Yeah, that's, I never wore the new uniforms. That's, I, that's, I spent my whole career in that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, the new OCPs are sweet, dude. It's just a zip up, <laughs> throw it over. You, you don't know. have to iron well, it. Once I got out, I went Army Guard and I was a, I, I did flight medic. I was a medevac uh, okay. guy on the Blackhawks. Um, oh, shit. And I'll tell you what. Those uh those flight suits were awesome. I bet. Like pajamas, right? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> so then I uh you remember Fort Benton, Montana, just north of uh, Great Falls there? Yes, I do. So I was a reserve officer there for probably four of the six years that I was uh at Malmstrom. Oh, okay. Really? But I kind of started the civilian side as I was basically driving up there on, on days off and working shifts as a civilian cop. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, and I got lucky because uh, um, I joined so young, but you only had to be 18 years old to be a reserve officer in Montana. Nice. Yeah. Well, they don't so have really, they don't have enough clientele out there. That's why. No, no, no. Hundred thousand people very, very or nine hundred thousand people, whatever it was, in the whole state. Yeah, I think Fort I think Fort Benton had twelve hundred people was the population. Oh, really? Very small, but but it was you know it was pretty cool. It was a cool gig. That's how I got into it. But then when I got out. Um, I went, I don't know how or why I'd like, I volunteered for a fire department and I decided I liked that more. Um, and I started doing fire and EMS and I went to paramedic school. And so I spent basically from 2007 till about 2013 in fire and EMS. So I did six years doing that. Um, but I always kind of had that, like a draw, you know, back to law enforcement. I finally, finally just clicked one day where I'm like, man, this isn't what I want to do. So, um, 
I, uh, most firefighters feel that way about law enforcement. You know, it is, it's, it's, I mean, you know, they won't admit it, but that's just the way it is. Although the other day I've got pictures of, uh, of a bunch of SRT guys, a bunch of SWAT guys on a big call out, um, working a fire hose. And, uh, I felt like they were real. I felt like, <laughs> I felt like they were happy about it. Yeah, that's the, awesome. the fire guys were happy about that one. So, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did that for, and then I, I, I got a full-time position with the police department where I'm at now, uh, actually a neighboring agency. Um, so I started off in a neighbor, it's like a, where I work is not huge, but we still have one city and then, and then like uh, suburb towns next to it. Okay. Um, so I got on with a 15 man agency, um, and I was there for, for, God, almost, for probably six years. Oh, that's rough. Um, that's a long time on a, such a small agency. There's no movement. <laughs> well, so, but so here's the thing about that agency, though, is it was attached to where I work now, right? So same dispatch. Everybody knows each other. Oh, um, that's interesting. Uh, like, um, so our that agency, we have multi, you know combined agency task forces. Um, I was I worked narcotics for the state while I was over there, so I actually I actually spent a time up at the, the state narcotics task force working as an agent. So is that um, for their their state troopers type thing, or is that sort of it's the it's it, it's under the AG's office? Okay. Uh, well, the state troopers fall under the AG's office, but it's basically the state division of criminal investigation. Is it a um, joint task force? Is just people well, so it's plucked? a full time it's a full time unit that's run by the state and it's okay. got full time agents but then it also has task force officers in it ah, so so like cool. I, the team that i was on the team that i was on had like seven full time agents and then officers from local agencies also so there were officers from every agency locally made up as part of the task force so i worked narcotics for for a while doing doing primarily drug enforcement stuff so i was doing working informants working distribution cases doing some undercover work which was cool um there's definitely a difference there are cops there are there are cops that can be undercover and then there are cops that work cases and bring in other cops to do undercover yes you know what i mean like, yes. there's just some cops are good at that and i um i don't know which one of those i was but i certainly tried to do undercover stuff and uh, i thoroughly enjoyed it so yeah. um i just didn't get to do as much as i would have liked um and then, uh, and then I, I actually transitioned from there. The agency I work for now, it wasn't a move. I didn't have to move anywhere. All I did was cross the street. Okay. But they offered they offered huge signing bonus, twelve thousand five hundred dollar lateral bonuses. Oh, nice. Um, pay raise, movement, bigger bigger opportunities to do things. And I'm a big interdiction guy. Okay. Criminal interdiction, not necessarily interstate interdiction. Um, I like criminal interdiction, guns, warrants, dope. Um, things like that, primarily on the street. So we're talking people on bicycles, people walking, traffic stops. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. where you find the where you find the shit bags. Yeah, old um, school proactive grinding. Yeah, just proactive. What I call it, yeah. You know, yeah, like dude, when the car drives past you and the the guy in the front seat puts his hood up and looks away from you and turns into the neighborhood, like you've got my attention. That yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, like all the things that they teach you in any sort of proactive policing. So. I made the swap and I've been there now for, for almost four years, little, yeah, almost four years. So how much time total do you have in law enforcement? Including military? Yeah. Uh, so six years as a security forces guy, but I have a hard time counting that because I was a missile cop. I didn't do anything law enforcement. I guarded nukes. I guess um, I get, I, I'll counter that. And I, the reason I counter that is because you are still at the basic level. You went through 
a type of police academy. You're taught how right. to arrest. You're taught, you know, uh, basic UCMJ laws, stuff like that. Um, and then you you always keep up on a use of force model. Um, so it, those are aspects of law enforcement that we still do today. So in that, right. I, I give there. I, mean, I, I had to reserve stuff on the yeah. side too. So now I'll so come, if we include all that six and then almost, yeah, right at about 10 now. So, so 16 years total. And then I had that little gap in between where I was, uh, where I was, so I had that six years where I was a firefighter. Okay. Um, and, and paramedic. So, yeah, you got, man, you hit all aspects of first responding. Yeah, I did fire EMS, law yeah. enforcement, yeah. narcotics. Um, you know, and I, I like doing that. And so right now I'm, uh, usually I'm a street guy, but I'm, I'm temporarily in investigations. Um, so my schedule is a little different now, but, uh, I'll be there for a couple of months because we, we lost a couple of investigators and um, they just, they needed some people to come in and help out those guys. You don't realize how busy your detectives are until you go up there and help them out and realize just how, you know, it's easy on a patrol level to, uh, to take that burglary or that sex assault or that fraud. And then you write your report and push it off. Yeah. But that goes somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And that's, so, that's why I really harp on officers on the little things matter most and that like, you don't know how big it is to get an email address or a social media name, something right. extra. Like those little things as a detective really help out um, because I can't tell you how many cases I've solved just through social media. I mean, oh, it's huge. It's crazy. Well, you, you definitely start to learn like which guys are lazy and which ones aren't. Like, what do they do the follow up? Like, there's uh, patrols busy, man. Like, don't underestimate how busy patrol is, especially our guys. We we're you know, our, our teams are too small for the call volume they have. It just yeah. is, you know, on paper, we're, we're almost fully staffed, but the reality is we're not because of the people that are on paper, we've probably got 10 in training. Right. Um, you know, and that's, uh, you know, so we're short there and just, you know, our patrol teams are supposed to be 10 guys and two sergeants. And right now you've got patrol teams running with like six and a sergeant. So, Oh man. Yeah. And, and one sergeant. So they're just getting wrecked. Um, you know, and, and, our, and so our agency, does for our side, you know, you're talking, you're talking around 300 calls every 24 hours, something like that. So that's, yeah, they're, uh, they're busy. So for you now, um, at the agency you're at now, what is your job now? You patrol? So I'm actually, I'm patrol. I'm just temporarily assigned to investigations. Okay. Um, so I'm, and mainly because I have, um, I have criminal investigation experience working task force and drug investigation and the interdiction side. And, um, working those cases. So I, I kind of investigations isn't necessarily where I want to be. I don't really enjoy property crime or, yeah. you know, you know, dude had sex with his, you know, with his friggin' cousin's daughter. You know what I mean? Like, so I it's like a stuff. general assignment thing. You're getting a little bit of everything, just not the major case stuff. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to okay. take primary on any major cases, but I am getting a bunch of like the, you know, the auto birds and things like that, things that aren't huge. Like I, I took a robbery the other day, um, but it was just because it was such a solvable robbery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was either going to be solved fast or we were never going to figure out who did it. Yeah. Um, and we were at, like, I took that and I was able to, I got lucky again, patrol saved my ass. Um, you know, I had some general descriptions and then some things came out and patrol recognized it. And yeah. I got a call and, you know, just a random, a random call for patrol and then a random, you know, was able to solve it and it wouldn't have if patrol wasn't doing their job. So, yeah. A so, lot of times you know, like, I tell me if you think this, you, you see this um, a lot of times, like, yes, there are lazy officers and, you know, you, you definitely know who your go-getters are. 
you know, those, those are always good guys to lean on. But I found, and I think I'm guilty of it myself. Like sometimes I wouldn't do things not because I was being lazy or because uh, I was being defiant or anything. I just didn't understand why it was needed. Like I didn't know the why behind a lot of some of the stuff, you know, I'm so like, that, that is huge. Yeah. That is huge. I think that there's, especially for newer guys. And I, I hate to say this cause I'm 38. Right. And I hate to be that guy. That's like, man, these kids now, but I know I'm 39. Um, I'm a year older. And I'm the same way. Sometimes. Right? The, the truth is, is we've got, you know, 20, like I met a guy today. He's a new cop for our agency. He hasn't gone to the Academy yet. Okay. So he's in like, he's in limbo right now where he's kind of just bouncing from like section to section not being a cop because he hasn't been to the academy. Okay. Um, so he's just kind of like observing investigations, observing career services, doing ride-alongs with patrol. Um, you know, so he's trying to, they're trying to, it, I think it's awesome that they're getting in that. Okay, this dude is no shit, 20 years old. And the only reason he got hired is because he'll turn 21 in the academy. Yeah. So they, they essentially made an exception and said, we'll hire you at 20 as long as you are 21 by the day you actually go from cadet to yes. officer. I've um, seen that. My own agency but, does that. But he is incredibly young. Like I, I'm like, he looks like he's 16 years old. Right. Um, but the question is, is like, you know, how do you take that guy with no experience? The guy, he wasn't in the military. So like, you know what I mean? This is a very, very young kid, inexperienced yeah. kid. He's going to go to the academy. He's going to come out. He's going to do FTO or PTO. He's going to hit the streets. You're right. Like, how do you take that guy and say, you know, on your sex assaults or your burglaries or your whatever, these are important things to do. And that, I mean, that comes down to your trainers. Um, yeah. And you know, we've got good trainers and bad trainers. So. Yep. Some are forced to be trainers. Some volunteer to be trainers. You know, that's a good thing about our agency is there's no such thing as forced training uh, at our agency. Like, okay. If you're, if you're a PTO, you had to apply for it. You had to put in for it. You had to be selected. Um, and then you're evaluated and, uh, if you're not cutting it or you're causing issues, like they'll, they'll, they'll cut you. So you're about the same level I am as far as age, uh, probably maturity wise too. I still think farts are funny. It's funny when people get kicked in the nose. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. I'm like, a, I'm like, I'm like 16. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty, that's pretty generous for me, but yeah, uh, like poop jokes, poop jokes still are great. Oh yeah. Farts, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. But, um, I think back when I was 21, when I was 18, I think back when I was 18 and I knew I was going to be a cop. Wasn't sure where FBI, DEA, ATF didn't matter. I knew I was going to be a cop. Wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I would have told you I'm ready now. Like I am mentally mature, mature enough to do this job now. And then when I turned 21, I was definitely ready because that was the age and I look back now, <laughs> I'm like, shit, I wasn't ready at 21. I wasn't ready at 18. I cannot believe I even thought about it. And I don't even know if I agree to let anybody be a cop until they're about 25 to give them some I, sort of life I, lessons. I've said that too. Like, and I, you know, maybe it's a case by case basis, but I would say the vast majority of 21 year olds are not ready for this job, especially, especially with the nature of what this job is now yeah. and what's happening now. Um, I would argue that most people at 21 years old don't even have the emotional maturity to control their temper. Um, and that's what gets people in trouble a lot. I would say that the, I mean, just in my agency, um, you know, the cops that I see come on and then not make it, get fired, don't make it through, like they get fired because they don't make it through training or they do something stupid and they get fired or whatever. Yeah. Most of those guys, 
are probably 24 and younger. Yeah, it's usually um, the first five years, and then typically that 21 to 25 mark. That, that, that's yep. the, that's so the typical. That that's unless you all. have a very, very specific type of personality with some life experience, 25 is probably about the the minimum age that I would I would say. And that's, you know, and I know like I work with some good dudes that are just barely 25 and, you know, yeah. I'm, you know, so I'm probably putting my foot in my mouth a little bit. But. Ah, there's always outliers. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't mean all 21-year-olds can't do the job. Shit. I work with several guys that I think they're better than I am, and they're younger than me. And, they, you know, they started yeah, like I'm 38, same thing. I'm still a child, so yeah. sometimes I have to be reminded to shut up <laughs> and, and, and pay attention to my audience. So right. I and, just, for me, it's just been, I'm such a, I don't know, I'm not a, I'm not a black and white kind of guy. I got such a huge gray area, like. So, for example, and I'm not I'm not trying to knock um, traffic cops, right? I'm not I'm I'm honestly really not trying to knock. I think we're uh, on the same page already. So, yeah, I'm not trying to knock ticket writers, but I will tell you that there is nothing you can tell me that will make me agree that traffic enforcement stops crime or saves lives, unless unless you were talking about very specific traffic enforcement. If we're talking about um, areas of extreme speeds. Uh, dangerous areas where crashes are happening, uh, bad weather, traffic enforcement, things like that. But every there, every every metric out there that's ever been done has shown that an increase in traffic stops and an increase in tickets does not ever result in a decrease in crashes or a decrease in crime. It just does not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what it does is when you're stopping when you're stopping single mom taking her you know late taking her kid to soccer practice. Um, and she's doing seven over and you stop her and you write her a ticket, right? And she's committed no other crimes. All you've done is just piss off the general public who mo- for the most part respects and appreciates law enforcement. Yeah. Um, and now she drives away saying, fuck that cop. That guy's an asshole. Or, or cops in general. <laughs> or cops in general wrote me a ticket. And you've got ticket writers who will say, well, you shouldn't have been speeding. That's dangerous. And the reality is, 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 it is, <clears throat> It is not substantially more dangerous, nor does it result in substantially more crime increases. Um, what it does do, though, is you're wasting your time pointing a radar gun at somebody and stopping them for seven over and then high-fiving your other, your other buddies um, for how many tickets you wrote. Uh, meanwhile, you made a 1,000 stops that year, and damn it, you wrote 600 tickets, and that's the metric by which you were judged. But how many arrests did you get? Right. How many, how many, how many felony arrests did you make? How many drugs... What's the quantity of drugs you got off the street? How many stolen guns did you get off the street? How many warrants did you did you close out? How many stolen cars did you find? Yeah. Um, you know how like so you wrote you wrote a bunch of good law-abiding citizens tickets. Meanwhile, you didn't stop tweakers or meth heads. And I, I will always argue. Again, I, I recognize the need for traffic enforcement. Sure, and if that's your if that's your job and that's the metric that you are assigned to and you are supposed to go out and work school zones and zero tolerance, sure, do it. Um, but if you are a patrol officer and you want to make a real difference in your community, stop making traffic stops for minor traffic violations for the purpose of enforcing minor traffic laws. Yeah. Make traffic stops on minor traffic violations that have shitbags in the car who who ignored you or tried to hide their face from you or turned into a side street or did one of the 5,000 things that shitbags do when they try to avoid contact with law enforcement. Yeah. Um, that's how you make a difference. Yeah. I, right. But it's easy to go out. It's easy to go out and write speeding tickets. 
Yes. I, I, so I've, I've made this same argument, similar argument before on here. Cause I, people, the, the whole show is about building a, a bridge between us and the community, trying to improve through some sort of transparency, through humanizing, through us having these types of conversations, educating people on how we think, why we think, what we think, you know, whether they agree or they don't agree. So um, one of the things I pointed out, you can agree or disagree, but you got guys like us that uh, have been been wanting to be a cop our whole life or do some sort of first responder thing. It's usually a calling foremost. Um, and then, you know, you get guys that they go to, you know, this Smallville and they got all this training. They got this education. Sometimes they've got an education to back it up. They got their bachelor's degree in criminal justice or whatever. And they're out there. They're on their own now. And they're like, all right. Fuck yeah, I did it. I may, I, the dream is happening now. All right. Uh, where's the robbers? Where's the murderers? Where's the rapists? Where's, you know, the thieves? That's what they want to go get. And they ain't getting it. It ain't, it ain't happening in Smallville. So now they're like blue balled. They're like, shit. All right. Well, they're paying me to be here. I got to do something. What can I do? Okay. Um, let me do a traffic stop. Those are the easiest ones to, I could do that all day. And right. then that becomes... And this isn't a traffic guy necessarily, but I'm just saying like, that's kind of how those things happen. Like if that's all you have in your little fishbowl then that's what they're doing. And I look in the, I'm, I'm a big picture guy too, a gray area. I'm like, are you doing it to help an area because of a complaint? That's justifiable. I get it. it, it the citizens right. have, if they've got complaints, you got to justify those. So, um, but if you're just out there hammering your citizens and that isn't a worry of theirs. And I mean, are you really improving the community relations in that area? Going to that black and white justification of I'm keeping the area right. safe. <laughs> yeah, if, you're sitting, if you're sitting on a, on a 30 mile an hour, four lane center turning lane road, and you're stopping people for doing 37 and writing them tickets. Yeah. You're not, you're not helping anybody. Right. You're not stopping crime. You're not deterring crime. You're not fixing community relations, right? You're not. And and I will tell, I will stand up for that all day long. And I know, I mean, I piss people off. I work with when I say traffic enforcement doesn't stop crime. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't prevent crashes. It doesn't prevent crashes. Yeah. Um, what stops crime and prevents crime is going out and hunting bad people. Yeah. That's what stops crime. Now, I will say that, like, I okay, so for example, I make a lot of traffic stops, but I make them based on criminal indicators, um, right? So if you drive past me and you you hide your face, you tuck your head back behind the B post, um, you know, you turn off into a neighborhood. If you have a license plate light out, you're getting stopped, right? Like yeah. I'm pulling you over yeah. and I'm going to start working that. And we could get into the whole search and seizure aspect of that, but yeah. you know, that's, that's a whole, that's a story for another day, but you know, I'm good <laughs> at what I do when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, but that's what you're getting pulled over for. So people are like, Oh, you stopped me for a license plate light. Well, Hey. Yeah, what I mean, I really stopped you because you're a shitbag doing shitbag stuff, giving me all the indicators of shitbag behavior. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you got warrants, drugs, or guns in the car. Yeah. Um, and that's why I stopped you. But sure, I stopped you for the license plate light. Um, now, you drive past me at 15 miles an hour over the speed limit, um, and you give me no indicators of criminal behavior whatsoever. I'm not pulling you over. Yeah. It's just that's just how that's the that's how I decide what I make stops yeah. for, and I make a lot of stops. But I convert probably 50% of my traffic stops to arrests. Um, 
and the other 50%, there's usually something going on there. I just couldn't get to it. I couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, or that was the day they had the drugs in their asshole. You know what I mean? Instead <laughs> of in their center console. And I can't be checking, I can't be checking assholes on the side of the road. Right. Right. So, so That'd be awkward. you know what I mean? Like, like usually by the time you're done with that stop, you're like, all right, this dude's a shit bag. He's got something going on. Or maybe you've got the passenger that you couldn't identify. You couldn't force identification. Right. Um, you couldn't figure out who they were. You're pretty sure they got a warrant, but you just couldn't get there. Um, you know what I mean? Like, sure. That those are, the, I still consider those successes. I just, uh, it's, it's a failure in that I wasn't able to take it to its right. conclusion. Um, but I'll tell you, if I make a traffic stop thinking that there's something going on, I walk up and you're like, Oh, Hey, I'm sorry. I was just taking my kid to school. I was, you know, and I'm like, mm, this isn't what I thought at all. I'll tell you what, go ahead and just slow down have a great day or whatever. Right. It doesn't have to, just because you've pulled them over, does not have to be a ticket. It can be a positive contact. I mean, in yeah. a way, nobody likes to be stopped, but it, it yeah, and can, sometimes I'm honest with people, dude. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like what I've learned, what I've learned in 10 years is that you want to stop, you stop somebody for license plate light and you want them to understand why they got stopped for something stupid and you know, they're not doing criminal shit. I'll tell them straight up. Like, Hey man, listen, I'm gonna be honest with you. I stopped you for your license plate light. It's not a huge deal. It's not the crime of the century, but I'm out here looking for bad guys doing bad things. You're obviously not a bad guy doing bad things, but that's why I stopped you. So just understand that I'm out here for another reason. So, yeah. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. And usually they're like, oh, all right, well, that makes sense. Yeah. That it, makes sense. Like now, now I understand why I got stopped for that. Or the other time, the only other time I will stop everybody on the road for anything is when I'm out doing DUI enforcement, which I think is a righteous act. Oh, for um, sure. Um, that is when you're, when, you know, when you're between midnight and 3am on a Friday and Saturday night, what is it? Some the statistic says that something like 70% of the people on the road have consumed alcohol. Um, so I stop everybody for anything. And that's, you know, that's, that's a little different. You know, I don't need any indicators. I just make the stops and make sure that you're not impaired. Yes. Um, I've noticed a lot right before I got out of like, uh, regular patrol stuff, like the amount of people on their cell phones that I mistake mistook for DWI, DUI. I, I'm like, God, they're all over the road. You get up there and I'm like, I don't smell anything. Their eyes are a little bit weird, but maybe they just have crossed eyes. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm like, why, why are you all over the road? And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. I was like, are you, they're, uh, my mom was texting me or whatever it is. And I'm just like, that's when I really started to notice how bad cell phones were. That I mean, because I was seeing people all over the road all the time. And I think cell phones oh, are yeah. the new DWI. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's why most people are passing laws on that. You know, and I'm a little bit of a hypocrite when I say like cell phones, because I absolutely, uh, you know, look at my phone when I'm driving sometimes. Um, and shit, put me in a patrol car. I'm working a radio. <laughs> and you're looking at, it, looking at it at MDP. Yeah. Um, you know, so so people, there's truth to what people say sometimes. And then there's, there's people just talking out of their ass. And people are like, well, so here's an example for you. That cop, pulled me over for doing seven over, but to pull me over, he made an illegal U-turn, yeah. cut off another car and did 20 over to catch up to me to make the stop. It's a good thing that he stopped me for seven over. Right. <laughs> so, right. so there's, there's truth to that. There's mm -hmm. truth to that. Like, what are you, what are you accomplishing when you're doing all of these things to make this stop for seven over? Um, now the same thing exists when you say like, you know, distracted driving, distracted driving. Well, at the same time that I'm, bitching about distracted driving i'm also talking on a radio and looking at call notes on cad while driving to a call over the speed limit <laughs> yeah, over the speed limit. so yeah. 
So the community is not wrong when they when they call out some of these these fallacies, these, yeah. these flaws in law enforcement or this hypocrisies, I guess you could yeah, say. Yeah, as I say, we're being hypocrites. But generally speaking, the community doesn't understand why we're doing what we're doing all the time necessarily. Like, for example, the big push for weed. I personally don't care about marijuana individually. Yeah. I think that for the most part, marijuana is whatever, as long as you're not driving on it. But people argue that marijuana has not does not result in crime, does not well, well, let me ask you this. How many tweakers do you catch with meth that don't have weed? Right. Right? Yeah. So so where what do you think what do you think all the juveniles that are breaking into cars and stealing guns out of cars are trading the guns for? Yes. In, our, in my community, for yeah. example. Weed. Yeah. Weed. Um so so the argument is that like the weed's not a big deal, but I have never I have never worked a drug investigation where weed wasn't a component. Um, and I'm talking about a meth investigation or a heroin yes. or a investigation where weed by itself did not have some involvement in that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can say that weed by itself isn't a huge deal. And if I catch some 19 year old college kid with a little bit of weed in the car and he's not smoking, he's not high, I'm, I'm probably going to use discretion to not deal with that kid. Yeah. Right. We're going to log the weed for destruction. I'm going to send him on his way. I'm not putting that kid into a system over a little bit of weed. Mm -hmm. um, but I will tell you that when I stop Mr. Three-Time Tweaker, you know, three-time convicted drug possessor Tweaker, who I know is a Tweaker who's running around with meth, and I catch him with weed, well, he's fucking going to jail for weed. Um, because that piece of shit isn't out there just smoking weed. He's out there stealing shit and, you know, using women and taking advantage of that and trading his girlfriend to his buddies for dope, you know, and all the other things that come along with that shit. Right. So the Tweaker with weed goes to jail because the Tweaker with weed deserves to go to jail for anything. Whereas the, the college kid with a little bit of weed. So there is, right, everybody wants to make it black and white. Like weed is bad, weed is good. And I would argue that weed has its varying yeah. level of good and bad. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm, yeah, if I'm, where I'm on a high horse there, but. No, you're not at all. And, and that this is kind of one of the things I like about doing this podcast is like, you're an officer, you know, basically cross country from where I'm at. And, uh, the the aspect of enforcement is is different but yet here we are talking about you know trying to keep community relations up enforcing laws trying not to harp on the minor stuff and trying to give everybody that that gray area that most cops like to live in um that you don't hear of we never hear of this I, I never did when i first became a cop i was a black and white cop I didn't know any other way to do it. I wasn't yeah, sure like, what I, mean, I could do, what I couldn't do. I was learning. How many brand new cops, how many brand new cops find a meth pipe and they're like fucking store of the century, bro. And then like that dude's <laughs> going to jail for a meth pipe and they're, they're yeah. back at the station, like taking pictures, you know, with their meth pipe. And, uh, yeah. you know, now you get so far into it, man. If I, if all I find is a meth pipe, generally speaking, I try to turn that meth pipe into an informant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that's, that's the thing is, you know, you give me, and, and I'm not talking about long-term informant, but it's real yeah, simple. Just Listen, give me some oh, intel. I yeah. I got a pipe right now. Yeah. Uh, you can go to jail for this pipe or you can trade me information for this pipe. Mm -hmm. Which one do you want? Yeah. Um, you know, and they're like, well, I don't want to be a rat. And I'm like, okay, well then you can go to jail. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm, it's not a negotiation. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is how it works. I want to know who's got dope, where we're getting the dope. I want to know information. And yeah. if you give me that information, and you're not bullshitting me, then I'm going to log this pipe for destruction. And you're going to go on your way and I'll catch you with dope next time. Yeah. Um, but I want that info. We don't, we're not getting that Intel, right? If I just say, boom, got your pipe, fuck you, go to jail. Yeah. Um, we're not working Intel. And that's what, that's, I think that's what new guys don't understand is that letting mm -hmm. that meth pipe walk, letting that residue bag walk 
for info can be immensely more useful. Yeah. Infinitely more useful. Um, and also the next time you deal with that guy, the next time you deal with that guy, you're like, listen, bro, I, I hooked you up last time and you treat me like I'm stupid. And they're like, all right, man, you're right. You're right. Bigelow. You're right. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. The, the relationships you build can go a long way. A lot of times, um, I've even, uh, it just depends on the criminal history of the guy or girl or whatever, you know, it, each it's a case by case basis. Um, right now you and I are talking with a lot of generalities. So I just want people to understand like this isn't how it goes on every single person. Like we don't get somebody with meth and go, Oh, you're a shit bag. You got to go. It, a lot of times we'll look at the criminal history. All right. This guy's got no burglary history. He's really not in the system. Maybe he's just a personal use guy. He's down on his luck. All right. Hey dude, look, I need a little bit of info. Meanwhile, I got some resources, maybe help get you cleaned out. It looks like, you know, are you willing to work? You need a job? Is that, are you, are you at that point in your life you want to switch this around? If not, I mean, hey, all right, cool. Be on your yeah, way. You're not, you're great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you get that, yeah, you get that one person that's like, listen, I'll give you info. That's uh, like one thing I've learned in the dope game. And that's really what I've always worked, right? I've never been a sex assault investigator, sex crimes investigator, a, a kid kid crime investigator, just not the world I live in, right? So in generally speaking, I've always had the luxury of working in areas where um, you can you can let you can let small dope walk right or info and you're not hurting somebody right you know what i mean somebody's yeah. not at, like you, you don't, you're not taking uh you know you're not taking some dude that's raping kids and yes. you're like yeah. bro you tell me who else is raping kids and i'll let you go like that it doesn't work that way those are <laughs> yeah. real victims yeah like those are real victims that have to go generally speaking <laughs> you're trading you're trading one doper for another doper you're just trying to get that bigger doper yeah like like you've got a grandma dope where can i get an ounce yeah 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 yeah, uh, exactly. dude, this dude's got an ounce. He lives in this house. It's this house. Cool. Right mm -hmm. on, man. Well, we're going to see how that pans out. I'm logging this for destruction. But, you know, if you sh or even sending them up to your your big guys, right? Like, hey, listen, man, uh, I got you with an eight ball of dope. You show up tomorrow. You meet up with this agent and you talk to that agent. Maybe they want you to work. Maybe they want you to do control buys. Um, I'll talk to them. If by next week you haven't contacted them and you ship backwards, I'm just going to put a warrant out for your arrest. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like they can walk today and you get, you get arrested later. Like, yeah, th but there's a big picture and a lot of people don't see that big picture. And that's yeah. why I like the dope game, um, because in the dope game, I'm getting guns off the street and getting yes. drugs off the street. Now, you know, I'll take an ounce off the street today and 15 more ounces will come in the next day. It's not like we're stopping the drug war right. at all. Um, if it, I wouldn't even argue that we're like putting any sort of hold on it. It's it just gets worse every single day. But if you're not doing it, then what's the, what's the, what's the end result? Yeah. I was going to say, if you stop enforcing it, then you're really doing your, your area, your fishbowl, you're doing it in, in justice. And the big it, outside looking in, yes, they, that's, you're exactly right. We're not putting a dent in dope period. We're not. And, but the one thing we are putting a dent in is those guys that are breaking into your car, that they're, there's yeah, you know who we're helping? We're helping the, uh, the 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 yard with all the copper, all the copper wiring. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. Your catalytic converter stayed on your car this night, so right. yeah, that's another big one. A lot of the meth guys, um, where I'm at, uh, 
they're they're cutting. We call them cutters. They're out there cutting catalytic converters off. And oh yeah, all of our all of our recycling shops here won't take catalytic converters without picture ID. Yeah. Uh, yes. Because because of that. Yes. The copper wire. It's the same thing. We see that all the time too. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. And at the end of the day, I just want to make your life harder. Like I have some empathy for you. I grew up. I grew up with a, a drug addict mom. Like I have some empathy for drug addicts. I do. Um, but I still want your life to be hard. As far as like, you're not going to go out and you're not going to steal from people. You're not going to go out and distribute fucking fentanyl and meth and heroin in my community. Yeah. Um, and you're you're not going to do it easily. Right. Right. At the end of the day, I'd love for you to get clean and get your life together. But if you're going to choose not to take routes to do that and you're going to keep trying to spread that shit in our community and you keep stealing, then I'm going to fuck your day up. Yeah. I'm going to come find you. I'm going to find your dope and find your gun. I'm going to take you to jail. I'm going to put you in jail. And they're going to release you and you're going to be on probation. You're going to violate your probation. And then I'm going to come arrest you again. And like, I'm just going to make your life hard. And I, at the end of the day, I want you as a shitbag in my community to be fucking scared of Jake Bigelow. So right, I'm not talking about the police department. Like I, I want to be scared of the police department, but I want them to talk about themselves. Yeah. If you get stopped by Bigelow, you're fucked. Yeah. Like that's what I want. So we're talking about, you know, the, this recidivism and, and all of that, uh, and, and, you know, the endless cycle, what, what would be a suggestion from you and your neck of the woods and stuff? How can we stop that? What are things that would make that go away? I don't know, man. I, uh, I feel like I might be a little bit jaded here and I'm, I'm certainly not a psychologist by any stretch. I'm not a, not a social, you know, a PhD in social, you know, I don't know what word you're looking for there. Sociology or, or whatever. Uh, yeah. well, you know, maybe I'm just a, a, a dumb, a dumb cop, but, um, what I have found in my years as a cop is that criminal mindset is not fixable. Um, that, like I use this as an example, let me, you know, I make I make the assumption here because you've been a cop and you're a, you, you know, you've lived a, a law abiding successful life that you probably have what I would consider to be a, uh, a, 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 a moral mindset, Correct. right. And you don't have to work for it. It just exists. Yeah. The example would be if, if you didn't know me and I was walking in front of you and I reached into my pocket and a hundred dollar bill fell out, um, or, you know, what would your first instinct be? Would it be to pick that $100 up, grab it, pocket it, and run off? Or would your first instinct be to gay, say, hey, bro, you just dropped that? Right. Yeah. Right. Your it's first a, yeah. instinct would be to do the right thing and yeah. give that money back. Oh, no, no. I'd take it and run. Right. Well, and, and the point <laughs> being is if you did do that, if you did yeah. do that, you would not feel good about it. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you're, you know, you're walking down the street and there's a car with the window down. There's a laptop sitting on the uh, the, the passenger seat. What's your first instinct when you see that? Dumbass. You would probably be like, hey, bro, you're going to get your laptop stolen. Yeah. Okay, so that's my argument here. So some of these people, for whatever reason, I'm not going to pretend to understand it from a from a, a you know a social standpoint or a psychological standpoint, but a lot of these people, and the more you get to know them, they are by nature, by their very nature, immoral. Um, they steal without a second thought they 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 do these things and they don't it, it is not even a question right um uh, here's an example that you go out you're you are a good person you go out with your buddies you get drunk um and you decide to drive home you're 22 years old you get a dui mm -hmm. um 
but otherwise you're a good person, right? I'm not, you're not a bad person. You just made a mistake. Yeah. So you do your probation, you go through all the bullshit and you know what you never do again. You never drive drunk again. And you learn from that. That's a good person. Okay. But you get these people who get caught with dope and they get on probation and they have all of the opportunities to get clean and they don't, and they keep, and they just try to fucking use fake urine and they keep using dope. They keep using dope. And then they go out and they steal and then they get caught stealing. And then finally they, you know, they do enough shit to go to jail for six months or they go to prison for two years. And then when they come out of prison, they're like, that's it. I'm getting my life together. I want, I want to live a good solid life. I want my life together. And within a fucking month, they're back to their bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, they're back to their bullshit and, and nobody made them do it. You know, it wasn't a lack of supervision. It was just that they are incapable. They're incapable of being lawful or moral. It is just in their nature. And, and I guess my problem is, is because you hear it all the time. How many people do you say, bro, I, I was doing so good. I had my life together. And then I just fell off. I just started doing dumb shit again. Oh, yeah. It happens quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, right. And you look at that and you're like, I couldn't even fathom that. I couldn't even fathom being that person. Right. Um, so I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a black and white answer to it. But I think that some people are by nature. They, they have they have a victim, a victimizer mentality. Um. And it is, it is enhanced by being a victim. Okay. They believe they are a victim of society and that they, right. So that they have, they have no discipline. They have no moral standing, no moral ground. Those people, I don't think can be fixed. Okay. Uh, I don't, I, I don't think no matter what you do, they don't get better. Uh, but then you mix that in with a very piss poor uh, probation system. I know plenty of probation officers here that are great people, but they are, they are um, restricted by policies by budget, by procedure, by supervisors that are lazy. Um, they can't they can't revoke people who should be revoked. People piss hot repeatedly on drug, you know, they're on drug probation and piss hot repeatedly with no sanctions. Um, you know, that is, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't, I honestly, I don't know what the solution is. Um, you know, totalitarian mentality doesn't fix it. I don't think creating fucking, you know, clean injection sites fixes it. And you can offer free shit to everybody all you want. You can offer free rehab. You can offer every, the bottom line is people aren't going to stop unless they really want to. Yeah. And that is why a very small percentage of people ever actually get sober. And the ones who do, uh, it means something to them. Yeah. I, I would think, um, cause I agree partly with some of the stuff you said. I mean, there are definitely are those career criminal guys that it doesn't matter what you do. Like, and, and, you know, and you've got, kids that were raised by the streets, they, their parents weren't raised by parents and then parents weren't raised by parents either. So you got generational issues that, um, that's hard to fucking come over. You get over on man. Uh, it oh, doesn't yeah. matter who you are. And I, if I were to focus anything to try to combat that type of stuff, I guess my idea would be, um, really invest into juvenile programs to try to cut it off at the pass, but it has to be the parents have to be held just as accountable as the juvenile. If they get get into right. a program, they have to go in the program together where the parent learns parental skills. Not I'm not saying teach people like saying you parent wrong because you're never going to win people over that way either, but giving them basic skills yeah. that they were never taught more than likely and like if you fail your side as the parent, your kid's kicked out too. So now this is a dual accountability there and work your right, way that, up. That's making the assumption that you have parents that actually want to be or will be accountable for their children. Right. 
Yeah, no. Because oftentimes, I, though, you know, you got you got some single you got some single mom, uh, you know, in the bedroom fucking some dude for meth. Well, her twelve year old or thirteen year old is uh, you know, sneaking out of the house, breaking into cars. Yeah, that's and a reality you, that that a lot of people in the public they, oh, they you no, talk yeah. about not being able to fathom things. That's stuff that you and I see more often than than we'd like to admit. Yeah. And you know what I'm about it like i just i don't i've kind of gotten to the point where i just don't even sugarcoat it anymore yeah um like the kids the kids that we deal with on a regular basis here that are that are you know the shooting at each other yeah. like we don't even have we don't have 15 16 17 year olds getting into street fights what we have is 15 16 17 year olds literally carrying guns shooting at each other mm-hmm. um we've had we've had 17 year olds shot last year like um and where do you think these parents are at a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the parents these kids they don't give a shit they don't care because they're out doing the same shit. In fact, when the kids get caught, the parents come in and cause problems with law enforcement. That's the so problems just, you guys are having out there too. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, dude, I will tell you that I am more scared. And I, I use that term. I'm scared of something happening, right? I am. We are going to have, I am scared of the 16, 17 year olds running around with guns mm-hmm. more then I am scared of the grown ass men running around being tweakers because the 16, 17 year olds are, are, are running in what they believe is some sort of gang culture. They're flashing guns. They're not just flashing guns. They're shooting guns. They're doing drive-bys. Like they are actively involved in aggravated felonious conduct. Yeah. They are stealing cars. They're committing armed robberies. They are, um, like, I don't, I, I'm going to, I don't even want to say it. I want to, I don't want to knock on wood, but, the fact that we have not had an officer involved shooting with, with one of these juveniles is we had a 17 year old girl a couple of months ago, pull a gun on three cops and it got knocked out of her hand as they were getting up on her. But like, as she was pulling it out, it got knocked out of her hand and it did not turn into an officer involved shooting, but she was pulling a gun out on a 17 year old girl. Um, like that's the stuff that's happening. Yeah. I, I had a nine year old that was involved with stealing a car. He's working with a team. I mean, now the other kids were 15, 16 and 17. So, but he was nine and there was a 12 year old stealing yeah. car. organized yeah. I, crime. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. There's a YouTube video. There's a, there's a rap video that just got published here recently. It is filled with people that we are very familiar with. Some of them are convicted felons. Um, they are filming this rap video in one of our, less than ideal areas we have this dead-end street that has three big apartment buildings in it and they are trash okay it's a cul-de-sac and it is terrible um dude there's probably 15 people out there waving guns around pointing guns at cameras um you want to know how many phone calls we got to the police while i was being filmed none None. yeah we get the same stuff here i and i i crack up every time i'm like not only are you filming yourself commit a crime, you're you're posting it on YouTube and thinking that cops aren't going to find that stuff. Oh yeah, it's nuts. It's yeah. nuts. Art, I, I I'm at a point where I where I have to figure out how to find my 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 zen because I've become so jaded in law enforcement just because all you see is the bad. Yeah. Um, that it's tough. And then you know, like I was telling you, I've been in two officer involved shootings in my career. Um. You know, I, I really don't want a third one. <laughs> yeah. And, and like just the other day, we had that standoff um, that resulted in officer involved shooting. And I was there. I just wasn't on the backside. Yeah. Um, so luckily, I didn't have a third one. Right. So we've got um, 
but it's just it's crazy my dude i told you we have we have about a hundred thousand people mm-hmm. we have had i want to say in the last eight years 15 or 16 officer involved shootings holy crap we're averaging two a year that's insane for that that's amount of citizens in my area mm-hmm. dang so you were in involved yourself in two officer involved shootings yeah, yeah, one in 2016, and then one last May. Would you be willing to share either one of those? Or yeah, you... no, yeah. okay. Um, you know, unfortunately, they're both on Facebook, so or uh, YouTube. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, it, it's not funny, but it's it's. I never thought I'd have a viral video. Um, but my my most recent one was on police activity. It got like 250 or 300 thousand views or something. Damn. Yeah. The best YouTube video I got's got like. 5,000. Right? Yeah, the one in 16, is, I mean, it's pretty standard. Uh, a crazy dude was shooting at his neighbors, shooting into his neighbor's houses to draw law enforcement there. Mm-hmm. When they showed up, he shot at them, uh, then ran into his house, and then obviously everybody got called, and then about 15 minutes later or so, he came back out with a rifle and shot, and I, I had set up on the other side, and I had an optic on my rifle at the time. A lot of people weren't carrying those, like, one to sixes. Yeah, okay. Damn. And I was, so I set up in kind of an overwatch and he came out and started shooting and I shot him. So that one was, I mean, it was pretty like that one was live streamed to Facebook, which was pretty crazy. Really? Yeah. A neighbor, a neighbor live streamed it. Oh my God. Was it a kid? Uh, no, probably early twenties. Okay. That's a kid. 20s, but he, he live streamed it. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then most recently, um, I made the mistake of ending up inside of a vehicle as he fled. Oh shit. People don't understand how scary that is. Yeah, seen, yeah. So I ended I've up, I ended up in the vehicle. He fled. We ended up on the interstate the wrong way. Before I finally did it, I, I got it in park. I got the vehicle in park, and it grinded to a halt. And we were on the interstate the wrong way. And then he started reaching into the bag. And finally, you watch it. You watch it. You, I could give you the whole. Holy film. crap! You can, find, you can find the video. In fact, I think it's probably the most recent one. If you look up my name and shooting. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's, it's got multiple body camera footage. Cause I had a, I was training a guy at the time I was quasi. So, um, I was training a dude that was just finishing, but he had prior law enforcement experience. So yeah, we just finished up PTO and we both decided like, let's go out and do some, let's go out and do some hood rat shit three 30 in the morning, find some drugs yeah, uh, or warrants. And we found drugs and guns and warrants. I just didn't know I was going to get kidnapped. <laughs> Holy cow. So what was going through your mind is the car is going the wrong way down. You said the freeway? Well, so it we, we started off on a side street of a okay. neighborhood, um, went around onto a frontage road, and then jumped up over the off ramp onto the interstate. And we ended up on the interstate the wrong way, southbound and the northbound. Oh, um, I, you know, I don't really know. It's hard to go back and say it was on my mind, other than like, I've never had to give in to the fact that I was in serious trouble, right? Like, as a cop, I've always felt like, all right, we'll figure this out, we'll work it out, I'm not going to get hurt, you know, whatever it is, what it is. And that was one of those ones where, like there's a period where you can even hear it in my voice where I switched from yelling at him and giving commands to like, just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, you know, cause I, like I, a lot of people, I, I've seen a lot of people that are like, oh, I just shot him immediately. I shot him immediately. That's great. You, 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 you can talk about what you would have done or wouldn't have done. Um, you know, I, I don't know why I didn't initially, except for I'd still convinced myself that I was going to be able to like figure yeah. it out. Um, and it wasn't until we got onto the interstate and they started reaching and then it finally culminated in getting shot. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I think, I don't really know what was going through my mind other than 
Like, you know, when you're terrified, there's a difference between terrified and fleeing and then being terrified and acting. And I, like, I was just kind of acting. It's kind of on autopilot, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You could, you, you'd have to, if you watch the video, you'd probably even be able to recognize in there somewhere like, man, I, you know, you wonder what's going through the mind, but it's kind of clear that like, it's hard. That's a, that's a tough one. I, I, I don't know how to explain that one. Gotcha. Necessarily. Yeah. Um, except for, I don't know. I was convinced in the middle of it that I was fucked, that I was dead. There was no way I was going to come out of that one. Okay. Like really? I was either going to be seriously hurt or killed. And it just kind of was like, all right, I'm along for this ride. Let's figure it out. Like when's the best time to shoot this guy and not crash at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. That's another thing that I, I, anytime I've seen where an officer's being dragged, uh, stuck, you know, kidnapped as you put it. I mean, it's really what's going on. Um, Cause I try to tell people we don't have a duty to retreat <laughs> our jobs to, to catch the right. bad guy. So sometimes is it always the best decision? Just depends. I mean, well, know. I will tell you, I talk about this one a lot from like a, like a tactic standpoint. Um, our reaction is to go after people. Yeah. Um, so this guy was in the passenger seat. The driver jumps out. Passenger starts moving to the driver's seat inside the car. I go in after him to, to prevent him it out. Yeah. Um, and ultimately I end up up on the passenger seat and he gets it in drive and takes off. So I didn't jump into a fleeing car. I oh, kind okay. of ended up in the car trying to get him out. Um, but from a tactic standpoint, like to recognize that you're behind the curve, you're not going to stop somebody from the passenger seat climbing into the driver's seat, generally speaking, not some 300 pound dude, you're going to get pulled into the car, you're going to end up in a bad situation. So in hindsight, like once I saw him moving into the driver's seat, ideally, um, the proper tactic would have been to say, I can't win that battle. So to just put a little distance from the car and let him fucking drive away. Like, the guy's not a homicide suspect. He's a, you know, he's a tweaker out at 330 in the morning, giving me a fake name. Yeah. Um, ultimately, he's got felony parole revocation warrants and, you know, a bunch of drugs in the car and a gun. But, um, you know what I mean? I don't know that at the time. And it, it doesn't and none of that would have been worth me getting killed for either. So. Right. So in hindsight, like make distance, let him drive away and then we chase him. Or if you can't chase, then don't chase him and catch him another day. Like it is yep. what it is. Yeah. Um, you figure it out. But getting ending up in the car was the least of the least, the least good decision <laughs> the, the, is the, is not the greatest tactic, but I certainly didn't mean to end up in the car. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that I, I typically bring up, I have several guys on here that have been involved in shootings and stuff. Um, you're my first multiple having, right. having two. Uh, I know I've got several guys lined up that have been in more than two. So um, it's not, that you're in a rare boat. You just happen to be the first multi. Um, and it, it happens. I mean, you're in two positions like that. One, you weren't even, you were the, the, the rifle shot. Obviously you were called to as what an assist. Wasn't even yeah, your call. Like, everybody, like when they yeah. got shot at, they called shots fired. Like everybody came. Yeah. And you know, your agency, that agency was about how many officers? Uh, well, so it's 115 sworn. So, okay. So are you talking about how many showed up on that? No, no, no. I I meant how many are at that agency. So you got 115 sworn and on that shift that day, you know, I'm trying to paint a picture. 115 sworn in there on that shift. You probably have 12 
working plus you've got all this neighboring agencies yeah they respond they're you've all got coming yeah yeah you got uh, patrol when they called shots fired everybody came yes so, so I, i'm just trying to paint a picture for people that maybe they're used to a major metro city and you know shots fire call you're going to get everybody from your side of town typically but you're not going to get the whole city because the city still has to be covered and right then, yeah that's the difference where like where you work is you're not going to get every single officer on shift you're gonna get a lot yes uh, well and so even even my agency that we've had so many officer involved shootings recently that even when that happens you get the initial response and then it's all right everything's taken care of clear out yeah go handle we got calls holding yes so has there been first i want to know how did your agency respond did I actually, I had no issues with um, the take, first one or the second one. Okay. So you were taken uh, care of. That's good. I, I'm trying to give people that are considering being a cop out there, like, look, there's still agencies that take care of their cops. There are. There are. I, uh, so my first one, my first one, um, I did not use legal insurance. I did not get an attorney. Um, I went right in and interviewed right away. Had no issue with that one. Everything was good. I was back to work in 30 days, right? So there was... I had a clearance. I had a letter from the district attorney saying justified within 60 days. Okay. So um, you got no build basically. By yep, grand yeah, jury. Yeah, both yep. I've got two, it's crazy. I've got two letters right now that say, uh, you were justified. We're not going to prosecute you. Yeah. Um, uh, homicide, right? Like that's the thing that people understand is when you get into a shooting is especially if the person dies as an officer. Yeah. Um, it's you an become homicide. A homicide suspect. Yeah. So, um, so that was crazy. So the first one I had no issue with. And the second one, um, my agency, it was the same thing. Only I used my insurance on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I called POB. I had an attorney. I interviewed with an attorney. I did not make any statements for like 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the funny thing is, is that wasn't my own choice. I was encouraged even by the investigating agency. Yeah. Like, hey, we want to interview you. You have an attorney, my understanding is. Uh, why don't you just have your attorney or you reach out when you're ready? Okay. Right. So they're almost implying like, listen, you know, we'll interview you and we have to, but get your shit in order first. Right. And, um, and nobody, nobody had a problem with that. My agency, I was off for probably three weeks and then I came back on, on restricted duty. Okay. Um, you said POB, what's POB where you're at? Uh, it, it's basic, uh, um, what what like ours not? is POA, Police Officers Association, up north no, no, uh, is uh, Fraternal Order of Police. Fraternal Order, FOP, I'm sorry, not POB, FOP. FOP, okay. I don't know why I'm saying POB. I was going to say, I just never heard that one before. So POB I was... is Police Officer Basic at our academy. I don't know why. Uh, okay, okay, no worries. Okay, so yeah, Fraternal FOP, Order of Police. FOP and... Yeah. Um, um, no, I had no issue with that. And um, at no time did I ever feel like I was getting thrown under the bus. Yeah. And the crazy thing, man, is like I told you, our agency's probably had 16 and eight years. We have become like, and every single one of them completely 100% justified. Yeah. Um, several of them have turned into federal lawsuits that have been dismissed. Um, well, that's pretty big. Like that. that's because they were so justified that there was just no yeah. argument. We've just had really justified shootings. Um, our agency's become like an expert at dealing with officers involved in shootings yeah, and critical officer uh, incidents and stuff like that. OISS. Yeah, we haven't had we haven't had any officers prosecuted. We haven't. Now, granted, that's not to say that if we had an officer do something stupid, that they wouldn't be. They certainly would. Yeah. Um, but you're really looked at from the perspective of like, all right, let's you know, you were in the right until we until we find something that says you were not. Right. Y'all wear body cams out there. We do. Cool. Axons by chance. 
No, we run the uh, G tax. Okay, I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that. I got the uh, axle. Not a huge fan. Not a huge fan. Well, the GTAC system, the reason why is they did the whole GTAC actually does um, MDTs as well. So our cars are, so all of our surveillance systems inside of our interrogation interview rooms, um, all of our police cars have GTAC MDTs in them, GTAC camera systems, GTAC body camera systems. So everything's integrated into one big system. That's why they did it. Okay. Um, so after, after all that, you get taken care of, you know, build on both accounts, which is great. Uh, congrats on that. Um, right. <laughs> it's a, it, were you, I know, I know, you know that you were justified in everything you did, but were you nervous during that time? Was there any, ever any time where you're like, like, are they going to fuck me over or anything like that? No, no, I don't think so. I like, I knew, I knew in both of them that I was so justified. It wasn't even a question. Okay. Um, you know, the only thing that I was ever nervous about was like the second one. I, I was a little nervous about, um, how much armchair quarterbacking I was going to get yeah. for being in the vehicle yeah. or for waiting to shoot. Um, you know, if anything, it was like, I don't want people to judge me negatively because of that. Um, and I kind of got over that because I, you know, I'll be the first one to stand up and say like, I should not have been in that vehicle. I did not mean to end up in that vehicle. It was not an intentional act. Um, and I almost got killed because yeah. of a, because of a bad, a bad impulsive act. Yeah. Um, you know, so if anything, I've turned that into like a, you're, you know, when people are like, oh, I can't, you should have never done that. You're fucking right. I shouldn't have done that. Like, right. But yeah. we're not talking about breaking a law. We're talking about maybe, if anything, just a tactical violation that's an yeah, internal you know, policy like, thing. You always go through policy afterwards. You're like, man, did I violate policy? No, I'm good. You know what I mean? You have yeah. that. But yeah. um, I was never really worried about it from that perspective. And then as far as, like, the mental health aspect, the shootings never bothered me. Like, you know, I, I – I Not yet. With, yeah. Not, Can you, always yeah, happen. You know, I deal with my, my – fair share of issues from other things um, related to law enforcement. It wasn't the shootings that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, there are other things generally like kids and things like that, that have, you know, th let's just say that until I experienced it, I did not realize that PTSD was a real thing. Yeah. Um, I was very hesitant to think that it was a real thing. Like I knew it was real, but it didn't really, I didn't understand. And then all of a sudden there's these things that start happening <clears throat> and you realize like, wait, these are like, literally, these are check boxes for, for what they say. Yeah. And then it's happening. And next thing you know, you're trying to like hide it or whatever. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so now I'm at the stage where I absolutely recognize it's a real thing. And then I acknowledge that I struggle and deal with issues. Um, but I refuse to do anything about it. That's the stage I'm at. Okay. <laughs> I gotcha. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's there. It's real. I acknowledge it. I see how it affects my life, but I'm not. I'm being stubborn and not doing anything about it. Yeah, um, I I I hit the same kind of thing. I didn't realize, and this was very recent. Um, my wife and I were watching some show on Netflix. I can't remember the name of it now, but the whole premise of the show is this lady is escaping uh, abusive domestic relationship um, with her kid and. I don't know who the writers are, but they did their homework because the way 
that it's directed, the way that the lady in the show talks as an abuse victim, the all the things, like everything about it. It screams like somebody in this story writing has gone through this because I ended up having like a, like, like I, I started like almost crying for no reason. And then I'm like getting like goosebumps and nauseous. And I'm like, my, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And all of a sudden I got a flashback to a call, not like a flashback, like seeing pictures and stuff, but I'm like, Oh my God. Like it triggered the memory. I'm like, Oh my God. I remember like this lady, like I, I she went through kind of, you know, almost identical type thing. And it did not end well for her, and it just brought up feelings that I didn't know I had in there about that. And of all things, like, domestics are one of the few things that, it's just another call. It doesn't bug me. Like, I'm used to domestics. Right, yeah, you never know. And, but for whatever reason, I got all of of that off of a TV show, and I'm just like, it all hit me. I'm like, God damn, whoever wrote this stuff, like, has the mind of somebody that's gone through this. And uh, the director... It's probably the director. I don't know, but man, it was, it was just, it was so accurate and, uh, it just, I don't know. It just got me. And, um, ever since then now I'm kind of like, <laughs> I don't want to say I'm in denial, but I'm just very aware of like trying to combat that, trying to figure out a way to deal with it. I, you know, I, I, the last couple of years, even before this last shooting, um, I definitely have become acutely aware of, like I say, the check boxes, like all the things they say that yeah. you look for, like, oh man, like I am a walking textbook for those things. Um, and obviously, you know, we're, I, I could get into it. Um, it. It's an uncomfortable topic, but at least I'm at the point where I can say like, man, it is a real thing. People really struggle. People have actual issues. Um, and the, I think we're getting better at it, but we do a really piss poor job of like, helping each other. It's very, it's, a, you know, it's pushed towards the military, but we're not going after those guys as cops. You know, we start thinking that like, if the cop doesn't go through a critical incident, then somehow it's, it's, it's not there, but by critical incident, we define it like, Oh, well, the cop wasn't in a shooting. Right. He didn't crash. He did. Right. But, but what they forget is that these cops on literally a daily basis are going to dead kids, dead people, um, car crashes, um, domestic violence victims and seeing that over and over and over again, you, you don't think it's traumatized. I mean, I, I would like to ask the standard citizen, you know, let's say a banker or an accountant, how many times have they spent three or four hours with a female who was beat so bad that her eye sockets were, were, were broken and her eyes were swelled shut, you know, and her ribs were broken and her nose was broken and she had hair ripped out of her head and she was strangled and had ligature marks around her neck. Um, how many times have they spent... Uh, you know, three, four hours with that, with that, with that victim. Right. Um, did they, you know, how many times did they sit at a hospital and, and listen to the story? How many times did they take pictures of that person, go through that and then, and then immediately turn around and then go arrest the suspect who pretends, you know, who, who, who says I didn't do anything. It wasn't me or I was defending myself or whatever. And you want to absolutely destroy them. You know what I mean? And you have to pretend to be professional and like you, you have got all these, like, that's not normal. That's not normal yeah. for people to do. 
too. Yeah. You don't think that doesn't start to build up on people mm -hmm. or how often are you going into houses filled with dope and you're taking kids away and you're listening to these, you know, like, and then the kids don't want to go like, that's all that stuff adds up, man. That's yeah. I, it, like it's... you do that over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I had, uh, somebody try to compare it or, you know, they're like, how'd they put it? Something about, well, I deployed. I'm like, Okay, like respect. I never did in my four years active duty. I never, I never went anywhere. I was stuck at a nuke base, never went. Um, I signed up during a time of war. The possibility had always been there. It just didn't happen. However, when I go to work every day, everybody speaks my language for the most part, um, and it's a lot harder to tell who the bad guy is sometimes. Uh, but the frequency of violence or or just the potential for violence is in my opinion a lot higher than and it depends on the deployment i'm not like well, if you I were think, in fallujah i, think, I get it but right a deployment a deployment absolutely results in it depending on what happens but it absolutely results in traumas and traumatic experiences and all that other stuff in that in that realm right right but then that person comes home and they have to deal with all of that, the mental health aspect of that. Um, and it, and it makes it no less real. Um, I think people try to compare. Yes. And that's the issue is, is you make this comparison. People are quick to make this comparison. Well, I'm a combat veteran. I deployed. Awesome. I like, I appreciate your sacrifices. And you know what? I acknowledge and recognize uh, your struggles and your traumatic experiences um, but you don't have the right to say that because you went through something, somebody else doesn't go through something. Um, there are people who have just as bad PTSD growing up in drug, drug addicted households, mm -hmm. um, or the 16 year old or 17 year old who was assaulted by uncle, you know what I mean? Or, you know, the 15, yes. 16 year old who was raped by uncle has PTSD, um, that is no less real than the person who spent six years in the Marine Corps during the invasion and went through horrible traumatic experiences. Yes. It's still real. So to try and say, make that comparison and say that a cop doesn't have it too, um, you know, like you spend, you, you've been a cop for how long? Uh, 17 years. Yeah. And how long have you been working where you work now in your agency? Um, almost 11. Yeah. So 11 years. So for 11 years, you have been working at minimum 80 hours, 160 hours a month. So you have been exposed at minimum for 11 years to 160 hours a month of repeating frequent trauma from small to big how many dead people how many dead kids how many crashes how many assaults how many stabbings how many shootings how many times have you been in fights how many times have you had officers get hurt or killed um how many like all of that stuff adds up yeah uh, and it is repetitive and it is traumatic and it you know I, I work with guys that were recon marines that have horrible traumas from that that then come into law enforcement and suffer just as bad in addition to that yeah like I, I will i will confess that at the end or at the beginning of may i am going to a week-long program specifically it's like a uh, it's not an inpatient type deal but it's a week-long pro in in-house program in texas that is a hundred percent focused towards first responders military ptsd stuff like that um okay. like there that's that's my admission. I, I'm well. I should say I'm not going willingly. I'm sort of being forced by my administration, but it's okay. coming from a good place. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I kind of got told, like yeah. we're not really asking. Um, you we're, we're going to pay you to go to this, so you're going. 
Okay. Um, it's coming from guys that I, you know, captain, deputy chief that I respect. Yeah. That's there's an issue. You have a problem. We're not going to let you just sink on your own. Um, and while we have power to control you, we're going to control you. And right now you work for me. So we're telling you that you're going to this week long deal and we're paying you for it. It's not negotiable. Yeah. I'll so tell, I mean, I'll say, I'll tell you this, a, a few guys, similar mindset to what I'm getting from you. Um, one guy that I had on this show, uh, Bruce Anderson, um, it's a good episode. If you ever get time, you being a, a dope chaser and all that, his, his story is similar. Um, involved in a shooting, uh, he was kind of voluntold as well, and it was one of the best things he ever did. And that's what he talks about on the show. Um, and I'll come back. I'll come back after May and let you know. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me know um, if you're in the Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington area, sir. Let me know because <laughs> I'm out here. So uh, maybe we can link up while you're here. Actually, think. Let me, let me look really fast. I will tell you exactly where it's at. It is where is that? Baylock by Junction, Texas. Junction, Texas. I know of Junction. I just got to look that part up, I believe. Uh, so it's over by El Paso, San Antonio. Oh, okay. So you're going to be way down there. Yeah, you're um, from where I'm at. That's... Yeah, like this is, I'm not, I didn't want to, I didn't sign up for this. Uh, like I didn't go because I wanted to. I'm kind of being voluntold, but right. Um, maybe... Yeah, at some point you have to start looking at the people around you who are saying, Hey, there's an issue. Yeah. Um, and we don't want you to sink and swim. And unfortunately we had a couple of, um, officer suicides recently. Yep. Um, back to back, uh, that affected a lot of people. And I think that put people on edge. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they started identifying people that, you know, I guess I'd rather have somebody say, we see an issue. We want to help you out. Um, as opposed to, you know, letting me bullshit them and say I'm fine and then just ignoring it. But yeah, no, I mean, I mean, man, that's one kudos to you. You didn't have to divulge that. And you did. I think, I think that's a subconscious way of kind of being like, you know what, like other officers need to hear this stuff. Cause you may have just help somebody. That's so that's where I'm at. I'm completely resistant to the idea of helping myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm it's acutely like, aware of what it is causing and what the issues are and how, not doing anything is a poor choice. Yeah. Um, so ideally, if I could give the advice and get somebody to follow that advice, even if I don't follow my own advice, that would at least be better than doing nothing. Yeah. And it, I, I mean, it shows a level of trust in, in, in your boys that you work with, you know, or girls. I'm not being sexist, but, you no, know, right. yeah. But well, I'm, not a pretty, I'm a pretty alpha person. I'm yeah. tattooed and, you know, whatever. Just So I'm pretty like... You know, fuck off, leave me alone. Yeah, kind of like, dude, but I'm a beta man on that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I did just, I just got back from my military time, and my department allowed beards starting at the beginning of the year. So I, this is the first I've ever got to really, really go to town. So I'm enjoying. We, we've had beards for, we've had beards for about three years. Nice, but. Um, during COVID, when everybody freaked out and we had to wear masks, ah, you had to get we had to shave them all off. Okay. So we all grew, uh, 
we grew angry mustaches. <laughs> What's as, an angry uh, mustache? A, so everybody, everybody was walking around with mustaches and like, just not even like I'm doing this because I actually want a mustache, just like in your face, just ugly, <laughs> stupid mustaches. <laughs> That's kind of a, a way to say we don't like this. Yeah, that's funny. It, I mean, but the beard thing has had nothing but, I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. I'm sure there's some negatives out there, but I've from citizens, I've heard they love it. They feel like we're more approachable, more relatable. And I'm like, you know what? Hey, if that's the vibe they're getting, that's awesome. So it's right. just like with tattoo, like, you know, we can show our tattoos off and stuff now. You're all sleeved up from what I can tell. We just, we just got tattoos, uh. Two years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, we've well, had tattoos for so, a while, but yeah, we just got visible tattoos like two years ago. Um, and for God, I don't even want to say two years ago, maybe maybe a year ago. Okay. Um, just got it. Our chief was pretty anti-tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, but our chief was willing to listen to the masses. Nice. Um, and recognize that like yeah, what's you know so but he kind of implemented it was not a carte blanche like all right if you have visible tattoos and they're not offensive then you can have tattoos um the initial rollout was if you want tattoos you have to you have to have your visible tattoos inspected by a sergeant okay that sergeant has to write you a letter that says i've done an initial inspection i find nothing to be offensive that letter has to be submitted with your request to career services holy shit um yeah, like it's a whole thing. So then you go yeah. to career services and career services has to photograph all of your tattoos. Um, Dang, and then, it's like you're being entered then, into the gang net. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then you had to sit down on a one-on-one with the chief or his designee and show him each and every tattoo that would be visible and discuss what the tattoo meant. And then the chief, like if it if, if it had some negative connotation or whatever, and then the chief would say, all right, I approve those tattoos, and then you would be approved. But if you got new tattoos, you'd have to do it again. Holy Now that, has, that the process, the policy has stayed the same, but the process has pretty much gone away. Now, because we've had visible tattoos for so long, people are just, you like, you're just getting, people just get tattoos and then wear short sleeves. And yeah, if somebody were to be like, hey, what is that, you know, naked lady on your arm? And then you'd be told not to, but. Okay. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Cool. So I'm, I'm sleeve. So getting tattoos, uh, like I've been in long sleeve shirts for years. Um, yeah. So getting to wear short sleeve shirts was a nice thing. Yeah. It's all, especially during the summer. Um, so out there where you're at, um, I'm, I'm going to get kind of off subject here. You got a lot of elk. We do. The hunting, the hunting here shoot is. One. <laughs> yeah. That's if you want to come out here to, you know, I can be general. I work, I'm in Wyoming. So yeah. Um, and, and people think that uh, Wyoming is a, well, okay. So they're not wrong. Wyoming is a very, very, very big state and not densely populated. Right. So where I work has a little over a hundred thousand people. And then there is not another population base of anything significant for probably two hours in either direction. That's yeah, better than what it was in Montana. And actually, I would argue that it is very similar to Montana. So you remember yeah. Great Falls? Yeah. The agency I work for, you can you can pretty much compare across the board to Great Falls. Oh, okay. Yeah, like it, the only close city was uh, Helena, where we were at, and then everything else was like four hours. Yeah, same thing. Same thing in Wyoming, which yeah. where I'm at. Um, so I work I work for the biggest agency in the state, and then and that's 115 sworn. Damn. 
I've got uh, where I'm at. We're in the top twelve, um, and we've got near two thousand. Yeah, um, it's it's yeah, one of those so things it, like it, you can't remember everybody. Like no, no, we're big. We're big enough that like new people, you see them and you're like, who who are you again? Yeah, and then and then they don't really matter until they're actually out on the street taking calls. Right. On their own. That's <laughs> yeah. when they become important. Um, but we're small enough that you do know everybody. Yeah. Um, we got, we got problems. We got big issues in, in, in the city. We got a lot of homelessness here. Like people think redneck hillbilly Wyoming and we are not like it is. We have stabbing shootings, robberies, drugs are horrible. Our homeless population is tremendous. That's crazy. Who wants mm-hmm. to be homeless in negative 30 uh, degree weather? Oh man. Uh, like yeah. we, we lose, we lose homeless people to the cold, uh, yearly. Yeah. I try to sure. tell people we lost in, in the military. We, we lost an officer. He wandered from the bar across the street and froze to death in, in the ditch. He tried to like yeah. just lay down and cover up and he just froze to death. Yeah. No, nobody yeah, saw him leave. Feet. The good thing though is, is like, our, our cost of living is very low. Like our top pay is 85,000, 85,000. Um, and we pay no state tax. And oh, okay. that's cool. Top, yeah. Top pay for officers like 85, no state tax. Okay. Um, and cost of living is relatively low. So that's pretty good for, that's pretty good for the area where, yeah. where we work. Um, I know Texas departments pay pretty well. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like I, I was looking at your agency. Um, I was looking at their pay and you guys top out at, at, at over a hundred. Yeah. Yeah, they make, <laughs> they make good money out here. No state tax, uh, civil service. It just depends on where mm-hmm. you go. Um, where I work in particular, they we are the, I think we're, if not the, one of the highest paying long-term and then highest paying for, like, education incentives. So if you've got right. your bachelor's degree, your master's degree. Yeah, I, I looked at your agency. If I, if I was going to move, I'd do that. I would not work for your neighboring. I would not work for the agency yep. right next to you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either. I love where I'm at. Citizen yeah, support. Heard, oh, I guess I've, I've heard great things about there. Um, yeah. I want to say I know some people that are from there. I just can't think of them off the name. I, I do have a buddy that I used to work with here that moved down to Texas, and he was in the hiring process for the agency we just talked about ah. that he wouldn't work for, and it didn't work out. And he took another job in Texas and does not regret it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, there's some. So he's pretty close. He's in a he's in a suburb where you're at. Um, oh, okay. He's close. I just don't know where he's at. Exactly. Okay. Very cool. Um, so since we're branching off a little bit, I want to, guys, it's hard enough for officers the way it is, you know, and I, I don't want to do the woe is me for cops, but um, it's always cool when cops figure out alternate means of making a living. So um, me, I'm doing the podcast. It wasn't really intended to uh, make money. Um but I'm now I'm to the point now where I kind of need to just to keep the show afloat. Um, so that's cool. But uh, Jake figured out a way to actually go out and basically make a second income. So um, what what is it that you do out there, buddy? What's your little little hobby out there? You know, I, so I started photography as a hobby years ago, um, and and then I kind of started branching into videography, and and then I I don't. Was it I selfies? Kind of is that how you started? Was just yeah, selfies? Stick, yeah. Selfie yeah. stick, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I just, I kind of just started putting more effort and more time into it. And um, I, I found, I, I, I ended up meeting a buddy who is actually one of my closest friends now who I partner with on a lot of commercial video. Um, he did video and photo. 
Um, and he lives about an hour and a half from me. So we kind of covered this big area. Um, and like he started, he started talking about how he does real estate, literally commercial video and photo for real estate and architectural and, you know, commercial properties. And, uh, you know, I looked at that and I looked at the market and the, you know, I started doing that and I'm like, man, I wonder if I could make this, I, I started small. I'm like, man, if I could make like an extra 500 bucks a month, um, on the side, that would just pay for like some camera equipment or whatever. Right. A um, little extra money here and there. And then I, I kind of started doing that. And then I just started refining it and I started doing some video and then it was all right. So now if I could make, let's try to, you know, like, I'm going to try to do a thousand a month. So I'm going to do a thousand a month by going out and, uh, uh, marketing, right? Like, so all um, my off time is I almost work no overtime unless it's like called in mandatory overtime because yeah. I spend, I have a full-time job doing photo video, like, um, for commercial photo videography, production videography, commercials, things like that. Um, so it's just this slow process where I said, what can I do? Where can I get this? And then you start getting more clients and then you refine your process and, you know, and then it was, how do I make, how do I make 2000 a month? All right. Can I do 2,500? Can I do 3000 a month? Next thing you know, you're just like building this revenue base. But the downside is, is I have given up a lot of my passion for business. Okay. So I love doing photo. I love landscape and things like that, but I don't have any time for that now because on all my time off, I'm doing this business on the side. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm now I'm making a second income. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, really like truly doubling my PD salary. Um, but I'm working, I'm doing things for that salary and I'm not, you know, doing what I want to do. So it's trying to find that balance. Yeah. yeah. But I just, I kind of turned it into a hobby and then just started doing more photo, more video. And now all of a sudden I've got un- unbelievable amounts of equipment, you know, money invested in equipment and cause that shit's not cheap. Oh, trust me. I know I, I don't do. So this is a addition to my podcast, this setup here. I, I wanted to expand beyond what you see behind me. Um, the mics aren't up right now. Like this is my normal podcast studio. Like this is my man cave, but, um, I've got, I'll do like, if you've ever seen Joe Rogan's podcast, yeah. so they got the three camera angles, basically. Um, that's what I do here. Um, you can't see it in the camera, but above me is all the, you're a photographer. So, you know, the lighting, the three light system, yep. uh, all that. Um, I got light behind me right now or in front of me for this, but, um, yeah, I can see you've got, you've got, you've got light camera left. I can see it. You can. Well, no, no, I can't see the light. I can oh. see it on you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's shining on me. Man, it's photography. I can see the I can see the depth. Yes. Yes. Should get the glare going. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So, so I've got that going on here. Um, this so I wanted to expand from because you can't get all the interesting guests in the studio all the time. So I wanted to expand. Um, and even this system that I got going here really can can get you know, a little different. I can change the way the view looks. I can add more people. Um, we can have some, I can have like a computer screen up there so you can see that we can watch a video together. There's all sorts of things that I can expand upon that I haven't gotten into yet, but right. man. It, well, that's, it's funny. Cause you talk about like, I have, I've got tens of thousands of dollars in, I mean, probably like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to know how much money I've got invested in my video and photo equipment. Right. Right. Um, but I don't do, streaming and i don't like a lot of people do youtube videos and edits and i don't yeah. do that so what you've got is just like you know you got like shelves and then 
whatever. Mm-hmm. But I do have like sometimes I do it. So I've got like shotgun. Mics, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They. I mean, I try to tell people, man, that audio quality one is the that's the make or break for podcast. That's, that's huge. That's yep. audio quality. Is yeah. 100%. And I, I don't care. Like the video is a bonus and I like my YouTube isn't even the biggest part of my podcast. It's the audio downloads, but yeah, a lot of people just listen to the, yeah, audio. most people do. And that's all of my, all of my video that I do when I'm recording people, I do professional audio. Everything's recorded with, with high quality labs or yeah. mics because that is when you've got bad audio on a video, it ruins a video. Yes. Yes. So I'm, but that's, that's awesome. I, I try to, I try to tell officers, man, find, Find a, a second passion, just in case this the, this doesn't work out. You get hurt on the job. You you get fired. You get you be you know you become the next viral video and it doesn't work out for you, even if you were justified. Um, you got to have some backups. So for me, I love to teach, um, and I love community policing in a sense. So I kind of combined the two by doing this. And um, for you doing the photography, that's awesome. It sucks that you can't do the type of photography that got you into it. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's about that? Like the problem is, is, is even that doesn't pay unless you can really get into like the print market. Right. But that is so hard mm-hmm. to get into the print market. Some people sell a ton of prints. Um, I, like truly just where, where my stuff comes from is wedding photo video um, and in commercial videography. Okay. No Real porn hub, so nothing like that. Right. What's that? So no porn hub or anything like that. Right. No, uh, you know, only fans, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been good. And then I, I teach too. I actually teach uh, uh, search and seizure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. As a dope guy, you should be very that's versed up on, on search and seizure. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of, I have a lot of arguments. I fight the status quo a lot. Well, it just doesn't seem right. I don't really care if it seems right. Like I'm telling you, this is what you can do. Yeah. This is what you can't do. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, or, or just misunderstandings. Like, yeah. I, just as an example, I, I cannot tell you how many cops think that you can frisk people simply because they're detained and simply because you say officer safety. Right. No. I don't, work I can't. What, what, what articulable fact do you have to support this? <laughs> Other right. than... you, have, you detain somebody, you have to articulate that they're armed and dangerous. Yeah. You have a reasonable belief. You can't just right. frisk people. Right. Search people. And then people are like, well, frisk isn't a search. It is absolutely a search. Yeah. It's I mean, absolutely a search. Yeah. It's a type of search, yeah. just like an inventory on a vehicle is still a search. Yeah, right. When people try to say inventories aren't searches, they are. You can call it whatever you want. It's a search. Yeah. The Supreme Court calls it a search. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You have, so I just, like, just little things. So I really try hard to fix those. Um, I'm doing a multi-agency search and seizure training uh, next month. That was originally just supposed to be an in-service for our department, but I kind of I kind of just went crazy and was like, listen, I'm inviting everybody. So give me the space. So I put it out to all the agencies in our County. I put it out into the neighboring counties um, just because I, I'm going to be there anyways. And I'm going to be teaching it anyways. Yeah. So why not just give these guys something free to attend? Yeah. Yeah. So I try, I, I harp on the, I was a Academy instructor for three years. So one of the big things that I would harp on with the, the rookies is, or the recruits, whatever you want to call them um, is one thing that's going to get you in trouble real quick is that arrest search and seizure. Um, Cause you start violating civil rights going, I mean, one, your case is done and two, your license is going to get pulled or you could end up in jail. It just depends on how egregious it is. You go in somebody's house that you're not supposed to go into all this stuff. So it's a, uh, it's a big deal. And I, I want citizens, if they're listening to this to know that 
we take it probably more serious than you guys do as, as civilians because not only can we be wrong and the case be ruined, but two, we could go to jail, we could get our license pulled, all these yeah. different things. It's it's a lot. Well, and it's also the more important things is, you know, being able to explain to people. So, for example, hey, sir, I need you to pop out of the car for me and come back here. Uh, no, I don't want to get out of the car. Nah, okay, listen, yeah. you do have to get out of the car. You know, well, what right do you have to make? You know what I mean? You get yeah. these people that I want to talk to your supervisor. Well, you still right. didn't get yeah. out of the car. You're like, cool, I can get one coming, but you're getting out of the car. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you get these cops that are like, get out, get out, get out, get out of the car, get out of the car. Right. I have found that that's, you know, simple things like understanding that stuff to be able to say, you know, listen, Mr. Mr. Whatever, I'm asking you to get out of the car. That's a lawful order. United States Supreme Court under Pennsylvania v. Mims has already made it very clear that it's lawful for me to request you to get out of the car. You refuse to get out of the car. You will be arrested for interference. That's that's what's going to happen. So I know you think you don't have to get out of the car, but the Supreme Court has said that you have to get out of the car. Um, and you know what? I'd be more than happy to show that to you after we're done here. Right. But in the meantime, I need you to get out of the car. Yep. You know, I, you get more people to get out of the car or whatever when you say, like, it's non-negotiable. The Supreme Court says you have to. So please get out of the car. If you refuse, you'll be arrested for interference. You know, or you say, you know, if you choose to not comply, then you're choosing to go to jail. I, I'm not a big fan of ask, tell, make. I think ask, tell, make gets cops hurt or in trouble. Yeah. Most of the time, if you can explain the why. Mm -hmm. it, it, I think, it, I think it there's plenty. Of, I think, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't like ask, tell, make. I, yeah. I like ask. And if there is time for an explanation or there's time for conversation and it is not a risk to officer safety, then you should do everything in your power to communicate to yeah. a to a you know to a final result um if you don't have time to explain and it becomes not then you act right yep but when you teach people you know you ask them you tell them then you make them you're basically telling them that your only option is is to use force um i, I don't like ask i'll make i think that cops who say oh i ask them i tell them i make them yeah are they're very 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 one directed yes There's plenty of time to explain to people why you need them to do something and your pride just doesn't want you to. Yeah. And you, everybody knows the difference between what is this officer safety issue and what is a that person is arguing and fighting and not wanting to do it while also making furtive movements into the center console. Well, then that's a time to tell and make. Yeah. Right. But if that person's just being an argumentative dickhead and doesn't want to listen to you and you can talk to them and verbally talk them into doing what you want without using force, ideally, wouldn't that be preferred? Yes. Yeah. I Man, I, I think education is just the big it's the big uh, the big fix for a lot of things. And like you said, you get that guy that's intentionally being hard-headed and, and doesn't want to get out of the car or whatever. If you can explain to them, especially if you can rattle off a court case like that, you know, and, I, and then I'll hit them up with like, here's, I would definitely not have known the court case off the top of my head because my memory doesn't work that way, but right. you teach it. So that's, you, you should be able to do that. But the, the next part that I'll tell them is too, is all of these arguments you want to make, they're not for the side of the road. They're, they're for the court. So you have to listen to me. I could be completely wrong. It doesn't matter. You got to tell the judge why I was wrong. That's it. Right. And then, do what I'm telling you to do. Yeah. And then we're done. But I have found that most people who argue and fight and resist getting out of the car and stuff like that is because they got drugs going. Yeah, they got something. Like yeah. They got something. Like normal people yeah. don't. Normal people don't complain yeah. about that. So. Or they're trying to get the lawsuit, which. Or they want the lawsuit. I really yeah. hope you know what you're doing when you do that because I get, I deal with it all the time. So the odds of you being right and me being wrong are going to be lopsided. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. What you think you can do and what what we can actually do. Yes. Yeah. I talk. 
I, I listen, folks, if you're out there, the last piece of advice I'm going to give you on this show today is going to be kill them with kindness and then destroy them in court. Kill them with kindness, destroy them in court. Because if you're nice to the cop the whole time and you do what he tells you to do, but you're in the right, then you just argue that in court. It's going to come across on body cam. It's going to come across. On, everybody's got body cam these days. I don't know any agency that doesn't have a body cam. No, I, I, I don't know any agencies not running body no. cameras now. I, that's why I asked you because where you're at, I mean, it's a little, I haven't talked to anybody on that side of the country really yet. So every, was, every agency, every agency in my County has body cameras. Yeah. That's a shit. That's how it should be. I love body cameras. <laughs> I, I actually, I've never had any issues. In fact, I like them. I love them even more because now it used to be when somebody make a complaint, you'd have to go in and you'd have to give your version. Right. And you'd be like, that's bullshit. That's not what happened. And then now they don't even talk to you. Yeah. I mean, our, our guys, our guys, our supervisors, our, our lieutenants, our IA guys, they don't even talk to you now. Yeah. You don't even know you're being investigated. You don't even know there's a complaint. Yeah. Somebody will call in and say, this cop did this and this and this, and he was a dickhead and he cursed at me and he blah, 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 blah. They pull up the body camera. They see it's not true. They tell that person to fuck off. Yep. Um, they close it. You never even hear about it. Yep. No, you're right, man. Well, buddy, it's been about an hour and 45 minutes. Pretty good podcast. Yeah. I usually go about two hours. Sometimes the really long ones are two and a half to three, but, um, I appreciate you jumping on here and telling us about your, I didn't realize you're involved in two shootings. So I'm glad you right. able to talk about that. I mean, it's always awesome. You know, you, you, you shared with us, uh, you're going to, going to get some PTSD help. Um, Try it out. We'll see, yeah, see how that happens. So, um, I would like to, we can do a follow-up if, if, if you're uh, yeah, yeah. comfortable yeah, with I'll, that, because it would really be cool to see like, you know, if you went and you come back and you're like, you know what? It didn't work. It didn't do anything for me. Or if you come back and you're like, you know what? There's more to it than I thought, you know, either way, right. because I think you're it's like, cool. me. You maybe get like, do podcasts with like four or five different people that, you know, officer involved shootings or, oh, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I definitely want to do that. I've got, I've had the idea. It's just a matter of getting guys. Like At the, the same time. Cause they're the, all working. The, yes. So like the three dudes that I've had on, one is my dad, so I can get him easily. Uh, it's just a matter of getting him set up to do this. He needs a computer that can, <laughs> you know, right. and I need a better, I need a better backdrop here. Yeah, dude, you need to step it up. You got all this money. I mean, I'm digging the, the neon light. I wish I had a neon light. I just got my star Wars stuff. You know what I'll do is I'll just pull like a, I'll just pull a tweaker thing and I'll just hang like a Raiders blanket. <laughs> no, no, you have a Scarface. Oh yeah. Get the Scarface, Scarface blanket. Scarface yeah. Blanket, hang yeah. that behind me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right, brother. I'm uh, I'm going to end this recording. I appreciate you. All right. Have a good one, man. Take care.